This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Ngunnawal country in Canberra. International assistance is pouring into Turkey with the death toll from the earthquake disaster in that country and neighbouring Syria passing 7,000. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has declared a three-month state of emergency in parts of the country, while rescue crews continue to dig through rubble for survivors. Some mourning missing loved ones say they've been abandoned. Middle East correspondent Tom Joyner reports from Istanbul. Temperatures dropped and the rain and snow picked up as workers pressed on through a second night, combing through wreckage after wreckage. As the sun rose, so had the death toll. An elderly woman in Hatay province sobs over the body of her relative wrapped in a blanket. After two days of rescue efforts, the window of hope for survivors is narrowing. Turkey says it's dispatched more than 20,000 workers to the quake zone since Monday morning's magnitude 7.8 tremor. Nearly 6,000 buildings have been flattened and both rescuers and survivors face the threat of deadly aftershocks. From around the world, help is coming thick and fast. Aid promised earlier from dozens of countries has begun to arrive in the form of trained staff and humanitarian supplies. Mexico to China, Italy to Pakistan. Australia has also committed millions of dollars in aid. I haven't seen anything like this before, that you have an area which is 100 kilometres long, uh, where every village, every town is affected. Johannes Gust has just arrived with his team from Germany. So we brought two tonnes, 10 cubic metres of equipment, everything for a base of operation. We have our own food, our own water, our own tents and we brought search and rescue equipment. But still, not everyone is getting the help they need. In the snowy streets of Malatia, residents can do little but wait in the sub-zero cold. Murat Alinak's home collapsed in the initial quake and members of his family are missing. Rescuers are nowhere to be seen. There's not a single person here. We're covered in snow, without a home, without anything. What shall I do? Where can I go? His relative, Ahmet, is equally despondent. I have two nephews in the wreckage behind me. Around two o'clock yesterday, this building collapsed. There are possibly hundreds of more buildings like this. The authorities won't send anyone to help. Over the border in Syria, more than 11 years of civil war has ruined infrastructure and dried up crucial supplies. Still, rescuers do what they can. In the town of Jindaris near Aleppo, these men from the group known as the White Helmets pull a young boy feet first from a crack in the rubble. Make space for him, says one. Watch your head, slowly, slowly. Soon the boy, his face white with dust, is freed. A bright moment after another long night. This is Tom Joyner in Turkey reporting for AM. Miles Armitage is Australia's ambassador to Turkey. He's in the capital, Ankara. He's told News Radio there are some Australians in Turkey who are unaccounted for, and the winter weather conditions for rescue and recovery efforts are very challenging. Yesterday it snowed in the affected region, and I think that hampered the. Um, uh, the relief effort and temperatures below uh, uh, zero. Um, so if it's not snow, it's ice. So um, 
uh, I think that just makes it more difficult and obviously the road conditions have deteriorated uh, uh, significantly. So um, uh, it's for that reason that the um, President has announced uh, a state of emergency for three months for the 10 affected uh, provinces. And at the moment, um, people are being asked not to enter that area unless they are aid workers or uh, are transporting aid material. Australia's ambassador to Turkey, Miles Armitage there. Rescuers are searching for survivors by digging through tons of rubble in freezing temperatures. In the Turkish city of Adana, about 200 kilometres southwest of the epicentre, large buildings crumbled in the quake. 33-year-old man Gurkhan says his mother's still trapped underneath the collapsed apartment block she was in when the earthquake hit. While he was looking for it, Gurkhan spoke with our reporter, Oliver Gordon. My mum is um, under the building right now, Start is still working working unfortunately because she she's not, she she might die maybe i don't know still working on it this morning we are going to start again we are waiting for the sound team and some heavy um, like vehicle uh that's why um we are going to work so hard today and then it should be it should be like be nice for us inshallah do you have enough people and machinery to help you no, get no, your no, mother? No, 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 it's not enough, unfortunately. Every country should be here because that's not regular earthquake. That's not, like, that's not normal things. I'm telling you guys, you should come over here. You should come. You are looking for your mother underneath uh, the crushed building. What does it look like? Yeah, like half an building is up, another one down. Like kitchen and uh, balcony is down. My mom is there right now. What's your message to people in Australia and around the world about what Turkey and Syria and the rest of the region is going through at the moment? Just I can tell, um, this, this area is so bad nowadays. I'm telling you, that's not good. That's not you know, like small earthquake. That's huge earthquake. That's why, you know, we would like to invite you guys. Please come over here and then uh, help us. We need you. We need you, especially emergency teams. Please come over here. Do you and your dad think you're going to find your mother alive? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think it's, that's so, so bad right now but still lying, like crying. He's with me right now, but, you know, so sad. Your father is crying? Yeah. What do you think you're going to do if, when you find your mother, she's not alive? Yeah, it will, it, it, it will be hard. It will be hard. Everybody wants to die normally, you know, not the earthquake. That's why I will never forget this. Thank you for telling us about your story in a very, very hard time for your family. We are hoping very much that your mother is okay and your family is okay. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you so much. Turkish man Gurkhani was speaking with Oliver Gordon there. 
Jane Gundawan is an Australian woman who's been living in Mersin in southern Turkey, for, Turkey for nine years. Her Turkish husband is still waiting to hear if some members of his family who live closer to the Syrian border are still alive. We really weren't sure what was going to happen. We we hadn't heard from anyone. Um, we got some good news a couple of hours ago that they've they've been able to pull out four people and they're still alive. So that's amazing and, and you know, so thankful. But the rest of the family, we know that there have been a few that have been found that are deceased and we're just sort of dealing with that now. Australian woman Jane Gundawan in the southern Turkish city of Mersin. Despite falling property prices around the country, as interest rates go up, most home buyers are still finding it's an uphill battle to get into the housing market. Even the body representing landlords and developers, the Property Council of Australia, has released research today showing more than 80% of the country believes there's a lack of affordable housing in the areas where they currently live. So, is the dream of home ownership out of reach for all but the lucky few? Nick Grimm reports. Did you sing that at school today? For two-year-old Cairo and plenty of other kids his age, the prospects of eventual home ownership are likely to be remote. What did you do do at school today? I played with Play-Doh. You played with Play-Doh? After all, that was close to being the case for Cairo's single mum, Nikki Estrada, who knows how tough it is to save a deposit. Maybe. Maybe. It definitely is, you know, it's paying, you know, for rent, you're paying for daycare, you're paying for your everyday living essentials, you know, it's always something, you know, you dream to have a house, but actually getting into the finance, the nitty gritty of it, it can sort of deter you away from it because it's such a daunting experience. But the Melbourne woman is watching her dream gradually become a reality after purchasing a block of land in the city's southeast with the help of a first home buyer's low deposit scheme. Now, with a slab being poured and the house frame going up, Nikki Estrada can hardly believe she and her son will soon be living in their own home. Oh, 100%. And still to this day, you know, I still have doubts. But, you know, I look at, like, how far I've come in purchasing a land and I think, you know, it hasn't been an easy journey. There's times I've had to work long hours or, you know, sacrifice a lot of things just to get that deposit. So, yeah, there were moments where I felt like giving up. And have you had to make compromises about, you know, where you're living, where you're going to build yeah. your, your house, that sort of thing? Definitely. Even like where I'm building now, you know, it wasn't my first priority location, but with just the market and the interest rates and everything just rising, I was almost giving up, you know, all the dream locations I wanted, the deposits were like enormous amounts. And, you know, it was just thinking with my head and not my heart, it may not be the best location, but it's just my foot in the door. But for all too many Australians, finding an affordable place to buy or rent seems to get harder all the time. Well, that is the stark reality, isn't it? 40 years of housing supply failure at a state and local level is a challenge at a national scale. Michael Zorbis is the CEO of the Property Council of Australia, which has commissioned research showing more than half of those living in rental properties have given up on ever owning a home and most others are frustrated by their limited options for a place to live. 81% of people believe there is a lack of supply of affordable housing in their area. That shows us that there is a real recognition and concern about the lack of affordability and choice and the housing deficit, uh, which the federal government's own data shows is 163,400 homes over 10 years and climbing, 
has moved from the concern of policy wonks to the mainstream. And that's grounds, he argues, for setting new housing targets in the nation's cities, along with higher density development near transport hubs and places of work. Where's all your dinosaurs? <laughs> Are you tickling? <laughs> Meanwhile, Melbourne mum, Nikki Estrada, is urging other home hunters not to give up hope. When you really do the research and you just invest your time, you will find something that comes up, but it might not be in your dream location, but at least it gets your foot in the door. Just have that savings and budget and just really focus on your end your end goal of purchasing your first home because it'll you'll you'll reap the rewards once you've got that sold on that sign. Tickle tickle. Where's all your dinosaurs? That one, that's a big one. Home by Nikki Estrada and son Cairo, Nick Grimm, the reporter there. And coming up on RM Breakfast, Patricia Carvelis interviews the Federal Treasurer, Jim Chalmers. The US President Joe Biden will deliver the annual State of the Union speech later today as he prepares to reveal whether he'll run for re-election in 2024. It'll be the President's first address to Congress since Republicans took control of the House of Representatives, setting up a challenging Two years ahead. Here's North America correspondent Jade McMillan. As a former speechwriter to Barack Obama, Cody Keenan is well aware of the pressures involved in preparing a State of the Union address. It has become part political speech, part ceremony, part to-do list. Uh, it is the bane of every speechwriter's existence. Um, but that said, it's the biggest audience a president gets all year long. You know, he'll get about 40 million people tuning in. So it's really an opportunity uh, to put forward a vision for the country. He doesn't expect Joe Biden to use his annual speech to a joint session of Congress to formally announce whether he'll seek another term in office. Instead, he anticipates the president will be trying to talk up his first two years in the job. You know, you have to look at the political reality, right? Now we, we have a Republican House of Representatives that's going to make it almost impossible to get anything done over the next couple of years. So I think what he's going to do is use it to, you know, he'll keep talking about unity and getting things done. With Republicans now in control of the House following last year's midterm elections, this State of the Union will look and feel differently to last year. Kevin McCarthy has replaced Democrat Nancy Pelosi in the Speaker's chair, while Joe Biden is facing the prospect of a series of investigations into his administration and his family. He could also soon be headed for a high-stakes standoff over the national debt ceiling. Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik has vowed her party will hold the president to account. Joe Biden must answer for his failed leadership, whether it's the border crisis continuing to rage at our southern border, crushing inflation and over $30 trillion in national debt, or a balloon from communist China entering into the United States sovereign airspace Joe Biden has caused a crisis in America. Joe Biden is likely to use his speech to focus on another crisis of gun violence in the wake of last month's mass shooting at a Californian dance studio, which left 11 people dead. The person who disarmed the gunman at a second venue, Brandon Say, has been invited to Congress as a guest of First Lady Jill Biden, along with Ravon Wells, the mother of Tyree Nichols, who died after being beaten by police in Memphis. When I decided to come to D.C., I didn't think I was going to come under these circumstances, but I'm honoured to be here. Um, this has been a long journey for our family. It's been a very difficult journey. 
She wants Congress to pass a package of legislation aimed at preventing police brutality across the country. But in a new era of divided government in the US, that appears highly unlikely. This is Jade McMillan in Washington, reporting for AM. A grassroots school in Alice Springs has been quietly working behind the scenes to save an Aboriginal language at risk of being lost to the next generation. The young pupils are soaking it up through song. Charmaine Allison reports from Alice Springs. In a tiny Alice Springs classroom, a group of children is singing in an ancient language. This is Pradam, an endangered Aboriginal dialect from country south of Alice Springs. There's only a handful of fluent Pradam speakers left in Australia, the language stamped out and silenced. When they went to school, they were told not to speak their Pradam language. And then that's the only language they knew was Pradam. They didn't know anything about English. So when they sort of spoke to each other in um, Pradam or whatever, um, they got in trouble for it or they got hit for it at school or whatever. That's Charlene Swan. She grew up hearing her family speak the Pradam language out bush. But while she understands it, Charlene says she never learned to speak it fluently. But she's among a group of community leaders working to revive the dialect teaching it to a group of young people, mostly through music. I just feel so proud of myself that I'm learning my language, my dad's language, my grandfather's language, and just passing it on to the next generation. Pradam woman Shania Armstrong is one of the school's apprentices. She's learning the language while also teaching it to the next generation. I really love teaching my language. The kids love it. Every time they come to a class, they always have a smile on their face. And Because I also teach my nieces and nephews, and they're always asking me, Anishinaya, how do you say this in Pradam again? Launched in 2015, the Pradam School is a community-led language revival program, empowering elders to pass their language and cultural knowledge to the next generations. For years, they've been teaching out of this classroom in Alice Springs. But now the group is fundraising to build a classroom on Perdam country. Oriel Swan says it's been a long-held dream of her mother, Perdam matriarch Christabel Swan. Well, my mum was asked by her friend, if a genie appeared, what was your three wishes? She reckoned to learn Perdam to her kids and great and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren and her siblings' kids and her siblings' grandchildren. And um, when I heard that from her friend, I started crying because it was so emotional to hear that. That was her dream. Look at her dream now, it's coming true. Already, the group has raised almost $80,000 of their $300,000 goal for the new classroom build. It's hoped the classroom will connect the children back to their homelands and keep the Perdam language alive for generations to come. Shanika Swan is just one of the young students eager to learn and to share her new knowledge. Pass it on so people can learn our language. It's hoped the classroom won't just benefit students but the entire community, keeping a language alive on the land it came from. And that means we are Pradam people, we have always been here and our language will never finish. 
Redome woman Shania Armstrong, Shemaine Allison reporting there. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily podcast. China says it was simply a weather balloon gone astray, but the Pentagon says Beijing was spying. Today, an aerospace engineer and national security expert on what China's up to. Look for the ABC News Daily podcast on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.